Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, it's getting to be that time of year when people are doing their holiday shopping and mm-hmm. the kids out there are compiling their Christmas lists. And little Candace, you know, from the days of yore, <laughs> one of the hottest items I ever, ever wanted was an American Girl doll. Did Ooh, you ever have this I growing didn't, up? I but all my friends talk about how they love them when they're growing up. They yeah. were the best. And I yeah. guess it was just, you know, fate that I turned out to be sort of a history buff because mm-hmm, these, totally. these dolls are all steeped in history, American yeah, yeah. history. And the one I loved the most was Felicity because mm-hmm. she was a redhead like mm-hmm. me. And the premise behind Felicity was that she was a colonist okay. and her parents were patriots and there was a time time that came when Felicity, who was learning how to be a young woman with manners, had to start refusing tea because her parents, again, were teaching the family that it was unpatriotic to drink tea. That's really interesting. That would have been hard for me because I like tea a lot. I know. And since (laughs) it's free here, you know, at the office. Right. Why not? Yeah. Gulp it down. And it wasn't just, you know, without rhyme or reason that Mm -hmm. Felicity had to refuse tea. There's actually historical basis for this. Yeah. And uh, it uh, all started basically... Back in colonial days when uh, the American colonies were still being ruled by uh, Britain. And uh, basically, Britain had left the colonies alone for a long time, like the do-your-own-thing sort of thing. And uh, soon, the the parliament started instituting taxes on the colonists and started enforcing it in such a way that like colonists weren't used to it. And they're like, this doesn't make sense anymore. You're treating us like below citizens. And uh, so they enforced the Stamp Act way back in 1765. And... Uh, this this was an interesting act. People kind of think that it all only had to do with like stamps, like mailing stamps. So it actually, lots of things had to, had to be stamped at this time because of the tax. Like newspapers and playing cards, even had to be stamped at this tax. You had to pay something for this for the stamp in order to, uh, to pay the taxes to Britain. And so this was seen as sort of an oppressive act. And so. Uh, um, the colonists rejected it, and Britain came back and was like, "Okay, all right, you can't you can't take internal taxes. That's fine. What we're going to come back and do, and we're going to tax the stuff. Your what's called duties, um, uh, things that were taken in imports to the to the colonies." And things got so bad around mm-hmm. the time of the Stamp Act that the people who were actually in charge of overseeing the stamping resigned and yes. left their posts. Yeah, it was such a big uh, scandal. But, you know, you've probably all heard the expression, no taxation without representation. You Mm -hmm. certainly didn't miss that in history class, but you may not know why this was such a big deal. And so before we get into the tea side of the situation, um, I have an analogy for you. Sort of like when you're off at college, you're doing your own thing, you're in charge of yourself, you know, you may not be paying the bills, your parents may be helping out a little bit, but essentially you're ruling the roost. You set your schedule, you go to class, Mm -hmm. you feed yourself. And then Christmas break strikes and you come home and you're back under your mom and dad's roof. And all of a sudden, you know, curfew is back on. Mm-hmm. They want to tell you what you're going to be eating for dinner. They want to tell you how to spend your time. They want to know can where see. you're going. They want to know where you're going. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and this is probably how the colonists sort of felt because yeah, sure. parliament was essentially levying all these rules and policies against them. And if they made enough noise, Parliament would back off. They'd either yeah. amend the policies or they'd repeal them entirely. Mm-hmm. And so the colonists learned that this would work. Make enough noise, cause enough riots, protest just enough, and Parliament's going to stop. And the thing is, people over in England who were under the monarchy's rule, yeah, it was sort of okay for Parliament to make the rules for them because they had representatives. Mm-hmm. 
But in the colonies, there was no one. That's right. And they, that's when they started rallying no taxation without representation. They didn't, they didn't vote for anybody to represent them in parliament. So they thought, why do you have the right to tax us? We don't have a say in it. And, uh, Parliament argued that the colonies did have representation. It's something ca- they called virtual representation, that every single um, person in in uh, in the government represented all of the colonies. Uh, but that didn't sit well with the colonists. Not yeah. at all. And so you mentioned that things that were imported into the colonies had taxes attached to them. Mm-hmm. And one of these items was tea. And yeah. you've got to understand how popular tea was. Um, essentially, it was the only thing, you know, that, well, it wasn't the only thing that people drank, but it was yeah. the it's, beverage I mean, of choice. Yeah, it's hard to imagine in our coffee-obsessed culture, but I guess if we replace it with coffee and we think if, if uh, all of a sudden there was a monopoly on coffee or or all of a sudden coffee was taxed, um, of the wazoo, like we would, we would get really upset because a lot of, um, caffeine addicts would be upset. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that the colonies were consuming about 1.2 million pounds, pounds weight wise, not money wise, per mm-hmm. year. That right. is a ton of tea. And if you drink coffee, like you were saying, Jane, you've got a couple of different purveyors that you can choose from. You know, sure. you can go generic, you can go high class, you can go middle of the road, grocery store brand, whatever. Yeah. But for the colonists, it was only the tea coming from the British East India Company. Yeah, and that upset a lot of people, like especially merchants who had contracts with with uh, other providers. And all of a sudden they had to only deal with uh, with English tea and they were a little upset about that as well. So the idea behind these different laws regarding the taxes on teas were that Parliament could levy the popularity of tea and the limited supply of tea to raise money for the French and Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. And again, the colonists were mad about this because they felt like they had no say in these wars. They were having to fund a war that they weren't really participating in that much. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess you could say England had a somewhat of a good case in saying that, you know, this French and Indian War went on in the colonies and we were protecting you, we were protecting your lives from from the French and, and the Indian forces and we want to pay for not only the, the debts that we incurred during that war but for a standing army to protect it. But at the same time, I mean, obviously England wasn't exa- acting exactly selflessly. Like, they had stake in their American colonies. They had value to them. So it's not just that they were acting, you know, to protect the colonists. Right. And out of all the colonies, I think Boston was really one of the hot seats. Massachusetts, for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. this sort of protesting um, sentiment sure. sweeping through the colonies. Yeah. And one of the reasons was that there were soldiers stationed there starting around October 1768. Mm-hmm. And you have to imagine, you know, there's unrest, people are talking, people are dissatisfied, and then these soldiers come in. And not only that, the colonists were asked to actually quarter them in their homes. I can't even imagine what that was like, the quartering um, idea of, of um, British soldiers shoulder, uh, soldiers coming in and saying, you do, you, uh, we are not not going to pay you back, but you have to give me a place to stay and, uh, you know, you deal with it. <laughs> but the people of Boston weren't ready to do that. Right. And so they fought back. Mm-hmm. So as far as the question of tea goes, they did the make a lot of noise, get the laws repealed thing. And that worked a couple times. We had the 1769 Indemnity Act, which repealed the tea tax, mm-hmm. but then the Townshend Acts restored it. And then those were repealed in 1770. But then in 1773, <laughs> we have the Tea Act that comes along. So it lowers the price of tea because the British East India Company can bring the tea directly to the colonies, but there's still a tax on it. That's true. And there's sort of two things going on here. One is the fact that only the East India Company could provide the tea. So there was a monopoly that they were enforcing on the colonies. And also, even though there was the most recent thing that happened was that it was sort of a cut on the taxes on tea. So they could get tea a little bit cheaper than they usually could. So it wasn't just about money. It was about 
the principle and it was about the monopoly. Right, the principle of the matter. Mm -hmm. And so on November 27th, 1773, there's this notice that goes up in Boston. And essentially, it's informing the citizens that the quote-unquote detested tea is on its way from a ship called the Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. And so some people from Boston gather in the old meeting house, the old South meeting house, excuse me, and they start talking about what they can do about this tea. And there's a couple different solutions that they float, a couple different ideas. And ultimately, these sorts of meetings go on for months and months and months. And during this time, the, the royal British governor, Thomas Hutchinson, he's getting wind that the colonists and the patriots in particular are planning something. And so he tells his troops to use force to keep the ships in the harbor. Because mm-hmm. one of the tactics that the colonists had tried was asking if the ship's captains would just sail away, just leave. Yeah, and this is sort of a standstill. We should also note that the... The ships wanted to unload their tea, but the colonists particularly didn't want them to do that because then they would have to pay the duty. One is uh, apparently, according to the law, as soon as the tea was unloaded, somebody had to pay the, the duties on it. Right. So that's really significant. So mm-hmm. not just keeping the ships, you know, in the harbor, but keeping the tea on board the ships. Mm-hmm. So over time, these meetings start to draw about 5,000 different people. And that's a really big number considering yeah. that the population was only around 15,000. Mm-hmm. And eventually they get enough people clamoring, especially um, by virtue of the Sons of Liberty, who were a pretty active group of protesters and patriots, Clearly that they Sam decide, Adams and, Sam Adams, yeah. uh, Paul Revere, John Hancock, that mm-hmm. they decide they can do something about this. And around this time, there's two more ships that come in, the Eleanor and the Beaver. So they're down at Griffin's Wharf. The people are at the Old South Meeting House. They've been meeting for months. They've been discussing. And then finally, out of nowhere, well, maybe not out of nowhere, but sort of (laughs) unexpectedly, someone Mm -hmm. lets out sort of a a battle cry. And it's more of a guttural noise, I think, than anything else. And it riles the people up. And they and they turn into a mob. And they storm down to the wharf. And they spend three hours, there's 116 of them, Mm -hmm. dumping tea into the harbor. Yeah, and they ended up dumping 90,000 pounds, I think it was. Yeah, and by today's dollars, that's about $1 million worth of tea or 18.5 million cups. And the water was brown for days. I imagine. (laughs) But it was sort of a I guess a polite mob as as far as you can use that. Yeah, there term. wasn't it wasn't violence. You can no, tell, yeah. I think that there was some kicking and screaming, um, and the colonists who actually tried to filch some tea and take it home for themselves, they were rebuked by yeah. kicking, punching, hitting that sort of thing. Which shows a testament to the principle of the matter. Like the the, the rioters um, had some pride in in the principle of the thing. Right, they were making a statement. It was completely against the British government. It wasn't right. about each other. And only one man out of that 116 people was arrested. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, you know, the colonists sort of had to reevaluate, well, what happens next? And the day after this, which would have been December 17th, Mm -hmm. 1773, they went back, they observed the harbor, there was still some tea floating around. So they they beat it with their oars and, you know, made it go underwater and it had all but been destroyed. Mm -hmm. But the British government didn't get word of the Tea Party, it was called, until January 1774. That's right, because uh, obviously it took some time for the news to get over there with the ships. There wasn't planes back then. Um, so when the message finally got there, they were less than pleased, to say the least. Um, and they enacted a few different things to punish, as, as punishment to Boston in particular. Uh, one was um, the port of Boston was closed, and they said, you, you can't reopen until the um, East India Company is reimbursed for all the tea that you uh, destroyed. 
and uh, other things where, like, the Quartering Act was reinstated, um, the idea of, of uh, making British uh, troops, they, they can stay in the, in the houses of, of colonists at the time. And another one was that uh, British officials who were accused of major crimes couldn't be tried in, in, in uh, the colonies. The England was obviously suspicious of that at this point. So they said, you have to ship them back to Britain before you try them. And, uh, and finally, I think there were restrictions on uh, town meetings in Massachusetts in particular, and they, they were obviously afraid of more rabble-rousing going on there. And so a lot of people have the misconception that the Boston Tea Party was the direct link to the American Revolution. Yeah, that's kind of the idea you get in history class, of course, yeah. And that's not true, because we know that, again, the concept of make noise, get it repealed, this sort of went on for a Mm -hmm. little while. But then finally, I guess it was about 10 months after the Tea Party occurred, uh, some citizens got together, and this is when the Declaration of Independence began to be drafted, Mm -hmm. and, and people really started to think about having... Uh, an organized rebellion against England, not yeah. just the citizens of Boston, not just Massachusetts, but mm-hmm. all the colonies who'd been feeling this way for a while. And you could make the case that even um, other colonists who were for independence eventually uh, looked at the Boston Tea Party as like rabble rousers, as a nuisance, sort of an uncalled for mob, some people considered. Uh, and it's interesting to look back on it and, and see now, now it goes down in history as, as this myth of our creation of, our, of the United States, at least. And I love the name Boston Tea Party. And <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that came to be, but we know that one of the cries that was uttered during the rebellion was, you know, let's let's make a teapot of the harbor. Mm, and, and they did. They did. And I just think it really speaks to the American spirit that these people were inventive mm. and they were sort sure. of ingenious in what they did. Because in the end, like you said, you know, they owed some money to the British East India Company, but yeah. there weren't lives lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it was That's all true. done in good patriotic form. Peaceful protest is somewhat, yeah. Yeah. Mobs are funny like that. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about mobs, there's a, there's a podcast called Smart Mobs on Stuff You Should Know, another How Stuff Works podcast, if you want to check that out. And for even more about the city of Boston and the American Revolution and tea itself, be sure to check out HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>